turn to 2 Kings somewhere. Chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6. Have you ever wished you got a warning after the fact? Whether it was a restaurant, whether it was a hotel, or a particular vacationing place. It's like, man, I wish I would have known somebody who was here before I was. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Well, that is a small thing in comparison to what we're going to talk about, but there are, uh, there are certainly more serious things that we need to be con- concerned about here. If you are able to stand, let's look at uh, chapter 6, verse 8 through 12. The prophet Elisha had a uh, heavenly radar on all that was going on that pertained to Israel. And the Bible says this, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. So there's the enemy. And took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. That is the title of that phrase right there. Beware that thou pass not such a place. For thither the Syrians are come down, and the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, of and saved himself there, not once nor twice, so apparently three times. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, He called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. How many of you were aware of the Astros and the Braves World Series a few years back where I believe it was the Astros that got in trouble for, call, for using illegal signs. Anybody privy to that? They cheated. Can you imagine the other team thinking, how do they know what our pitcher's going to pitch every time he's out there? How do they? It's like they're way ahead of us. In a similar case here, only this is legal. <laughs> Elisha had the heads up on the enemy of God's people. So we're going to pray here, and this is a message more of instruction and warning, counsel, than anything else. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful to be in your house. We pray that you teach us from the scriptures this evening. May we be able to remember these things, especially in times of weakness in times where we are most vulnerable, help us to take uh, great caution in where we go and where we allow our mind to go. 
I pray you bless our service this evening. Bless the special music. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right. If you have a pen and paper, this may be a message that you might want to take some notes. Uh, so let me review the story here. As you're going through 2 Kings, the early stages of 2 Kings, we have the transition of Elijah the prophet to Elisha the prophet. And between the two men, you're looking at 40, 60 years of ministry. Yes, 60 years of ministry that God would use them to protect um, the nation of Israel. They would be that restraining force. They would be that salt of the earth uh, for Israel. They would be that mouthpiece for God. They would be that intercessor, that mediator, that God would not remove Israel as long as these two men uh, were in their place. And the hopes, no doubt, there'd be somebody that would take the baton from Elisha. At this, on this occasion, Elisha... Uh, well, let me backtrack and tell you where we're at. The king of Syria uh, believes he can take advantage of Israel. They're weak, militarily weak, and the king of Syria is ready to take advantage of them. He sets up camp in a particular location. He lets his other generals know, we're going to be here. We're going to wait for Israel to come through this way, and we will capture them. Elisha the prophet gets wind of this. I wonder how. And uh, God, no doubt, reveals it to him. He tells the king of Israel about it. And the king of Israel, the reading makes it appear that the king of Israel sent somebody down to take a look. Either way, the king of Israel listens to the, uh, to the voice of Elisha, and he is saved. His army is saved. His country is saved. Not once, not twice, but no doubt it's referring to three times. And so three times this happens, and the king of Syria is beside himself, wondering, we've got a traitor amongst us, but no, not at all. We know God has intervened. Now, <clears throat> what I want to get across is this. You and I, uh, we have an enemy we have an enemy that wants to destroy us and can very easily. You and I are no match for our, for our enemy. Uh, we're not going to defeat the devil in and of our own strength. That is for certain. We know the enemy is the devil. Uh, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goeth about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for opportunities to take advantage of you and I as Christians. Uh, just a side note as we're talking about our enemy. Do you realize he's not as concerned about the lost as he is about the saved? You all aware of that? Because the lost, they're no threat to his kingdom. Not at all. It's those of us who have received the light of God and have the light of God within us and can dispel the light of God to the lost world we're the threat on his kingdom, on the kingdom of darkness. And his objective, Jesus said, he called him the thief, he cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. His objective is to take your testimony away, get your light hidden under a bush, or destroy your life. That's his objective, okay? Uh, certainly uh, to ruin the name of Christ 
in your life. That would be his objective. And he's been pretty successful, unfortunately. What we have in this passage is just some common sense lesson. Now, wouldn't it be awesome, wouldn't it be awesome if you and I, uh, every time we knew the devil was lurking up the street, somebody gave us a warning before we got there. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, it's like, okay, get ready, because the tempter's really going to go after you right up at that location. Really? Yeah, okay, so avoid it. And if we got these warnings, whether it be at work, don't go to the water fountain because you're going to be super tempted. There's going to be something take place there. Don't go there. Or, or don't go to the bathroom at the school. Don't go there. There's, the tempter's going to take advantage of you. Don't go there. I mean, it'd just be awesome if we had that kind of warning, uh, visible, audible warning before we stepped into that. Because, again, you and I are no match for the devil. Absolutely no match in and of ourselves. And yet, as sure as I say that, we do not need an Elisha to give us a warning to beware of such a place. Because he has already given us a warning from his word to beware about passing such a place. Now, this will not be an exhaustive lesson, but... uh, I will cover some areas that you and I need to be aware of, not just geographically and physically, but mentally. Because, see, the mind is the the place of spiritual battles. It's the battleground for all spirituality. If you let your mind go to the wrong place, friend, you're not going to win. Especially if it stays there. I understand we can let the birds fly over our head, but we don't have to let them build a nest. And you can, these thoughts can go through your head, but you don't, have to allow, you don't have to continue to dwell upon them and think upon them. There's a way to combat those and remove yourself mentally from such a place. I'm not going to cover everything, but I'm going to cover enough right now to get us all thinking. And you, you can fill in the blank because God's Word gives us all the warnings we need. I've shared this before. Some of you may not be aware of who General uh, Rommel is. General Rommel was a great uh, general, tank general uh, for Hitler, unfortunately, during World War II. And he served uh, Hitler in the southern theater, the, the northern part of Africa. And he was conquering. He was making headway. I mean, the British couldn't conquer him. The French couldn't conquer him. He was making headway. The Americans really couldn't for a while. Then they put this crazy general in there from America called Patton. And all of a sudden, headway started to be made. And all of a sudden, they started pushing back Rommel. They eventually ousted him out of Africa... And he'd end up being executed by his own regime because they were all nuts. Somebody had asked General Patton, how were you able to defeat Rommel? He said, Rommel wrote a textbook on tank warfare and I read it. All the strategy was in there. All the devil's strategy is in that book that you hold in your lap right now. 
It's all there. I just want to point out a few areas that you and I have to be absolutely mindful of, beware of, be cautious of, that we don't pass such a place. And at least we don't stay there long if we are there at all. And so, here we go. The first place, let's go in our Bible to Luke 22. Luke 22. By the time we get to Luke 22, the Lord is preparing for the Passover. He will be crucified within a chapter. Judas has already decided, I can't follow the Lord through this because I know what's going to happen. He's not, he's not going to do what I thought he was going to do. And so Judas betrays the Lord Jesus Christ. But he hasn't done it just yet. Verse 1, the Bible says, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him. And they were glad and covenanted to give him what? Yes. And really not a lot. Greed. When your heart is ruled by covetousness or ruled by greed, beware that you pass such a place. The Bible says uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And in verse 9, that's 1 Timothy 6.10. In verse 9, it says, They that will be rich fall into temptations and many snares. That's what it says. Now, wait a minute. You're saying it's wrong to be rich? No, if God allows it, great. But if that's your pursuit... If that's your motive, and by the way, you know it's your motive when you'll forfeit your integrity, when you'll forfeit your testimony for money. Hello. I mean, it's one thing to work hard throughout the week, serve the Lord, be honest, try to, try to make some money that way. Hey, that's great. It's a whole nother thing if you're, if, if you're willing to forfeit your integrity and forfeit your testimony to get gain. To give up Jesus for gain. That's a whole other ball. When you, beware when you pass such a place. Because, hey, listen, uh, desperate times, people, even people who know the Bible get desperate. I still, I, I think of this preacher that was in Bible college that brought his took his family out of school, went out west for a job because they were offering him so much money. Within three years, he lost his family, as well as his testimony, his ministry opportunity. So, greed. Gehazi became a leper because of greed. Uh, you remember that fellow named Achan? Isn't that a fitting name for a guy who died by stoning? 
Aiken, at least in our English vernacular it is. But what's tragic about that is it didn't just affect him, it affected his whole family. Every one of them died. Why? For a gold and silver wedge and some fancy clothing that he wasn't supposed to have. If he'd awaited one more battle, he'd have been satisfied for life. But people don't tithe because of greed. That's one reason. As a matter of fact, it is interesting when we read about the tithing. God says, if you will, he'll rebuke the devourer. That's what he, in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, he says, I will rebuke the devourer if you'll tithe and give offering. What do you mean? Who is this devourer? Uh, the devil goeth about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Doesn't take long. Now, he might just take a little at a time from you, but it doesn't take long for anybody that's really paying attention to discover you keeping the 100% and uh, rather than giving God 10% will not go near as far as the person who gives 10% and keeps the 90%. I'm just all you got to do is evaluate it. I, I'm telling you, I, I challenge you. I, I double dog, triple dog dare you. How about that one? But greed, I got to move on here. Beware of such a place. Next, envy. Envy. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, Saul, King Saul, already had some issues. And normally these, these are more symptoms than anything else because they're symptoms of one primary issue. We'll get to that here near the end. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, look at verse 14 if you got it. If not, I'm going to read it. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Okay, by the way, you need to understand this. Uh, Satan is just a servant on a leash to God. But God has given him the liberty of that leash. Right, did you follow me there? So, we find here that Saul is being troubled by an evil spirit. If we were to read on, we discover that at this time, a young man by the name of David, who can play the harp, uh, comes along and he's able to play that harp, calm Saul's spirit. And the Bible says the evil spirit departs. But the problem is, he never does, the, the Spirit of God never does come back. That's always an issue. Getting rid of a wrong doesn't mean you replaced it with the right. All right, that could be a whole other issue there, a whole other sermon. But it seems as though things are fine with Saul. Okay, David's here. When he plays that harp, he's good. But then you come over to chapter 18, chapter 18, and you look at verse 7. By the time you get to chapter 18, David has killed Goliath. And by the time you get to the verse that we're going to read, David has already proven himself a great man uh, for Saul and for the people of Israel, a man of God, a man well-respected. And verse 7 says this, And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very, what's it say? 
And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousand, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. Uh, Look at verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. What you're going to discover now, what you're going to discover now is, Saul already had some issues with his pride, but now envy, envy is ruling his heart. He's heard something he doesn't like. He's... Uh, a man that serves him has been elevated above him in the eyes of the people, and that bothers him. Okay, hey, listen, our human nature can understand that, but if you don't learn to deal with envy, it will destroy you, as it did Saul. And because this time, what we discover wasn't the music wasn't enough. Because as if we were to read on through chapter 18, we'd find David playing that harp again when Saul's spirit was troubled. But this time, the evil spirit didn't go away. Oh, no. This time, Saul picks up a javelin and tries to kill David. So much for the good music, getting rid of the evil spirit. It won't work when envy is ruling the heart and when the, the musician is somebody you're envious at. I'm telling you, all a person thinks about when they're envious is the individual they're envious at. That's just, just going to consume them there. Let's consider another Bible character, okay? In Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel chapter... Well, matter of fact, let's, kind of, let's go on over there. It's not going to hurt us to jump through our Bible and look at these verses. Daniel chapter 6. If you get to Ezekiel, you're getting really close. <coughs> Daniel chapter 6. It's just after Ezekiel. All right, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was what? All right. That the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. So obviously Daniel has earned the trust of the king. Hello. He's earned the trust of the king. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was on him. And by the way, that was that he was known for an excellent spirit from chapter 1 on. From chapter 1 on. And by the way, you too will have an excellent spirit when you make a decision to honor God with your mind, your body, your spirit. You'll be known as a person with an excellent spirit. All right? It says, And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then, verse 4, the presidents of the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. What a spotless testimony. But pause, and let's consider something for just a second. Why are they looking for an occasion against Daniel? Is it not obvious? All right, you can say amen, nod your head, do a bobblehead, give me some motion, some life. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. Those fellows are envious. They're, they're envious of Daniel, all right? And this idea of envy, it, it, it's, it's what moves on our pride and our heart when, when, when we feel like somebody got a promotion above us, when somebody gets elevated above us, and it moves us such a way to where it turns to hatred and anger and things like that. It'll get worse. 
And what we find, because I know the rest of the story, I read all of the chapter 6, what we find is those fellas that couldn't find fault, they set up a, 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 a foolish law, they deceived the king, and they thought, well, we got old Daniel now, because now if he prays to his God, he's going to break the law of the Medes and Persians. And they couldn't keep Daniel from praying to God. And so they said, we got him now. And they told the king, and the king realized what he'd done, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't change his mind on it because he'd put his seal to the law that they'd written up. So now they're going to throw him in the lion's den. They throw him in the lion's den. I know the, the king, the best he can do is hope for the best. You know, I, He says, I hope your God that you serve day and night can preserve you because I can't. And so that's all right. We're not serving men. We're serving God. Daniel knew that, and he's thrown in that lion's den. And he got a chance. I didn't sleep with the lions. I got a chance to walk with them. Oh, Daniel slept with the lions. And the big contrast was they fed the lions that we were with. These guys hadn't been fed. I'm not walking with the lions that haven't been fed. These lions hadn't been fed. But when Daniel fell down into the pit, they took a couple sniffs and said, No, he's not appealing. The devil, the devil does, hey, listen, the devil's called lion too, and you know, he doesn't like the smell of godliness either. Anybody that's close to God, he just goes, Too, too hot for me. Too hot for me. And they left him alone. They woke up, he woke up the next morning, they moved, moved the stone away. Daniel! Are you still alive? Yes, I am, king. The Lord sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth. So what they do with those men that were moved by envy? They and their families were thrown to the lions who were still hungry and had the mastery, the Bible says, over them. I'm here to tell you, beware of such a place. It can happen to good people, good people, be moved and ruled by envy and destroy you and affect your ministry and affect your marriage and affect your parenting and affect your ability to work. Beware of it. You say, well, man, I just can't. It bothers me that somebody else always gets promoted above me. Who are you serving? Men or God? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the person who pays your check. No, as unto the Lord. By the way, he always pays on time. He's always just. You think Joseph thought it was fair when he got thrown in jail for lying and slander? Not at all. Was he doing a good job? Absolutely. You think David thought it was fair when he had to run from his life? Here he'd been just doing, his own, doing the best he could for the Lord and for the people of God and for the king. And now he's got the king against him. Hey, what's going on there? Friend, our duty is to walk with God. Honor God. But beware of letting your heart go to such a place. Beware of letting your mind go to such a place. Beware of that, which leads me to number three. These all build upon each other. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I know I said 11, but 11 is really two ones. All right. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you look at verse 10, verse 10. Let me give you the context of all of this. The Corinthian church had to deal with sin in their church and from the first letter 
of Corinthians. Now they've almost overdone it. The person they, that they exercise church discipline upon is repentant and broken. And now Paul is saying, you need to forgive him. Even though people have been hurt, you need to forgive him. He's broken. Even though the damage has already been done, you need to forgive him. Paul says this. Look at this. This is very uh, suggestive. Verse 10. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also, says the Apostle Paul. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. He's saying I was able to do it because of Jesus Christ's forgiveness toward me. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you allow bitterness, unforgiveness, start ruling in your heart. And by the way, envy can go that direction too. It gets farther and farther. If you allow that to ruin your heart, you are, put, you are putting yourself in a place where the enemy can take advantage of you. Where the enemy can capture you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, these are very significant. The order is very significant. Verse 26, be ye angry and sin not. The sin is not anger. That's not the sin. This, but anger can cause us to sin. Hello. That's why he says, be ye angry. Because there are some things that they ought to make you angry. Hello. There are things that ought to make us angry. When Jesus walked into the temple and saw those people buying and selling in the temple of God and said, hey, this make not my father's house a den of thieves. It's a house of prayer. And he tipped over those tables. Didn't appear he was real happy about all that. But he also provided salvation and forgiveness for them just as much as he did for you and I. Because when he was on that cross and said, Father, forgive them, that included all humanity. Even the knuckleheads who thought they could make an extra buck in the temple. So, <clears throat> verse 27, though, Ephesians 4, 26, 27, Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. means deal with it as quick as you possibly can. If it's a one-on-one -on -one confrontation, listen, it's better for you to call at 11 o'clock at night and say, listen, we need to talk this out because I can't sleep. I, I just can't sleep. Better do that than to let it fester all night long because verse 27 says, Neither give place to the devil. Because if you don't deal with it, the longer you let it put it on delay, the more thoughts, foolish thoughts, deceptive thoughts, wicked thoughts, false thoughts the devil can put in your brain. Hello. And often, often, we get all bent out of shape over things that really are not that bad if we'd have dealt with it right away. But it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and rather than deal with it the right way, sometimes we've got to deal with it on Facebook, and we just add fuel to the fire. Or we try to tell our friends, i got a prayer for you, this person said this, and that prayer request really becomes a gossip hour is all it is. No, 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 that's not forgiveness. We need to forgive, not just for their sake, but for your sake. You and I need to beware. Listen, I, yeah, I'm a child of God. I got the peace of the Lord in my heart. Yeah, but it doesn't matter how saved you are. You still live in a mortal body that gets stirred with passion and anger. And you can, you can be envious and you can be bitter. I've seen good people who have served the Lord, who've been witnesses for God, who I've fellowshiped with closely get bitter 
and get away from God and get away from church and watch their children get away from God and get away from church and just, I mean, watch it blow them up. I've seen it. And maybe you have too. But never, 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 never believe that it's not possible that it, that you, it wouldn't happen to you. He that standeth, take heed lest he fall. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. When I get upset or I get angry and it happens because we, listen, we live amongst a bunch of terrors, don't we? We, we got them in us and, and the result is we're going to get rubbed the wrong way. We got to be able to learn to forgive. Absolutely have to. Hebrews 12, 15 says, looking diligently, lest any root of bitterness spring up and defile you. I think it says defile many. Because it can. It usually doesn't just affect your heart. It affects others. But beware about passing such a place. What else? You got a moment? I think this is, uh, this is the trunk of the tree that we've just been talking about. Pride. Those others are kind of symptoms. They're, they're, they're branches. They're fruit, let me say. But this is the trunk of the tree. You know, I want to begin here with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. If you don't get there, that's fine. I'm going to read it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. As we read in this chapter, we discover the qualifications of a bishop or a preacher or a pastor. By the way, those are good things to understand. God has qualifications for certain aspects of ministry. One of the aspects, he says in verse 6, he says, not a novice. What's a novice? Anybody know what a novice is? Okay. Beginner. A beginner. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with what? He fall into the condemnation of who? Oh, beware of passing such a place. I want to tell you something, what's interesting. I got to thinking about this. Uh, I don't believe he's talking about knowledge. He's not talking about knowledge. He's talking about experience. You see, here's the difference. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says knowledge puffeth up. That's what the Bible says. Knowledge puffeth up, if that's all you have. But something about experience teaches a guy or a gal, it doesn't matter how much I know, I can't do it without God. You see, that's, that's part of God's training program. He wants you to learn His Word. You need to learn His Word. You need to learn the instruction manual. You need to understand His plan for your life. And as you learn it, you need to understand how much you need to depend upon Him daily. Hourly. I need thee every hour. That songwriter had it correct. You know what that songwriter was saying? I can't just get charged up and leave the outlet. I got to stay hooked up. Hello? I mean, I used, to, I used to preach that. Yeah, just get plugged in for a while and you'll be good for it. No, 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 no. This isn't like going to the gas station getting filled up. No, no. We're either plugged in or we're not plugged in. Bottom line, you can spend all kinds of time with God one day, but if you don't spend time with God the next day, the devil will take advantage of you. 
You, know, you want to know why the Laodiceans uh, uh, didn't have Jesus in the house? Because they had need of nothing. I mean, they had everything. And so what? They have self-sufficiency. And what you and I, what the experienced person ought to learn is, I need God. What the experienced preacher, hey, it doesn't matter your age. He wasn't just talking about age. No, 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 no. Young men can know, I need God. I, I mean, Robert Murray McShane was a young man, young man who made a huge impact for the cause of Christ in Scotland. Andrew Murray was a young man who made a huge impact for the cause of Christ. David Brainerd didn't live to be 30. And man, people's prayer lives have been absolutely revolutionized by him. Uh, Borden, William Borden didn't make it to 30. And his biography has stirred millions of people in service for God. What was different about those guys? They didn't just have knowledge. They understood, I need God. I need God. And that's the difference. See, not a novice, less being lifted up with pride. Well, what's going to lift him up with pride? Well, I can go through them. I can get up here and preach up a sermon. I can share this and that because I got it all right here. Or I might have some natural talent that God gave me to be able to talk, and I can watch people pay attention and get with it, and uh, I can do it without God. I can talk about God, but not really be plugged into God. By the way, I've no preachers. I've seen it. I know preachers who stood up and preached, and I thought, wow, what a sermon, only to find out later they'd been living in adultery. Hello. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. By the way, their sin always finds them out, as it will you and I as well. But what's tragic is great is the fall thereof. What happened? They didn't beware of such a place. Pride. One of the great, great men of the Bible turned to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. As long as we're still awake, we might as well take a look at it. First Chronicles chapter 21. Was King David a great man, yay or nay? Got a yay? Absolutely was. God speaks highly of him. David had two very dark moments in his life as a king in regards to his decisions. He had lots of dark moments when it came to valleys that God allowed him to go through. But he had two dark, dark blights upon his reputation. I'm sure if he had an opportunity to say, Lord, uh, does that, do the rest of the world have to read that? I'd like to take that out. God said, they need to see it all, David. They need to see it all. They need to know that you had the same kind of heart that they got. You can love God one minute. And love yourself the next. They need to see that. So, <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 21, look at what the Bible says. Verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, you won't see that in the, in the, first, the second Samuel account. In the second Samuel account, we don't see that it's the devil. Chronicles lets us see the spiritual insight of what's going on. In Samuel, all we see is David making a decision, telling Joab, I want you to count all the people of Israel. I want you to count every one of them, just every one of them. By the way, the kings were not supposed to do that. That was the law of God. David knew that. Let me ask you this. We're, you're all very intelligent people. Let me ask you this. What would make a man want to know, uh, one... When he knows he's not supposed to count everybody, 
But here he is, the, the ruler of this whole country. What would make a man want to count everybody? Is there anything else? The New Testament calls it vain glory. The Bible says, Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than, than themselves. David. You know what? Even Joab felt sick about doing it. Even Joab. He didn't even obey David all the way because it sickened him. And God would judge Israel because of David's sin. And David would bear the blood of all the people that died because of his sin. It would be on him. And he would feel the mental and emotional anguish of his sin. What happened, David? Things got a little comfortable, did they, while you are on top? Didn't need to read the Bible as much? You quit bending the knee, did you? Did you quit reminding yourself of what God's already brought you through? Hello? Did you forget to look back at where God's brought you from? Hey, David, what happened? Because obviously a man that did that was not walking close to God. Hello? He wasn't. Beware about passing such a place. You don't need Elisha here. You got it right in the Holy Word of God saying, You child of God. Regardless of all you've done thus far, regardless of what people think of you right now, beware about passing such a place because all of it can be gone just like that. Just like that. Oh, there's more. There's more. Boy, I, I heard a preacher say, listen, if you haven't struck oil in 20 minutes, quit boring it's been beyond 20 minutes. I'm not sure if I'm seeing oil, but I do need to mention this, and I'll take my chance. You can kick me out afterward. The final place that I'm going to talk about is this. Oh, there's two more. I'm just going to say another one, fleshly lusts. I mean, listen, the addict, the addict ought to know better. If he's got a problem with alcohol, you don't go to places that serve alcohol. You got a problem with pornography. You don't put yourself in a position where you can see it. You got a problem, uh, you got a problem with drugs. You don't hang around the crowd that does drugs. Listen, that ought to be obvious, so I'm going to move on. The Bible says, make no provision for the flesh, neither the lusts thereof. But I want to move on to this final one. Uh, beware of the place of doubt. You know, Eve kept hanging around, hang around the tree that was forbidden. Now, God didn't say they couldn't look at it, and God didn't say they couldn't keep it pruned. But God did say, of every tree in the garden, you may eat, but don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that tree. You know, it's interesting. Out of all the trees that she could eat, the devil wasn't hanging around those trees, was he? No. The, the tree of life, the devil wasn't hanging around the tree of life because they could eat of that. It was the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That's where the devil was hanging around. By the way, he's still around there. Yale, Harvard, so-called good and evil. They, they don't know anything. She's hanging around that tree, and what's the devil do? What's the first thing he, do? he does? He says, as he sees her, I, and this has always stunned me, I would have thought this. Eve, have you and the serpent been talking? Because you don't seem surprised that this creature is talking to you. I don't know. Maybe it was a normal thing. Maybe 
Maybe they were like Dr. Doolittle and they walked with the animals and talked with the animals. I don't know. Maybe that was normal. But all I know is the serpent spoke to her. And she wasn't surprised at all. That freaked me out if a snake started talking to me. But he wasn't a snake yet. He still had some legs. And his very first words, his very first words, his very first words, say it all. Hath God said, ye shall not eat of that tree. The very first words questioned the authority of God. Friend, I'm here to tell you, beware of the place of doubt. One of the big sins of all Christianity is not adultery. One of the big sins of all Christianity is not uh, uh, embezzlement. It's not greed. It's not bitterness. One of the great sins of all Christianity is doubt. What kept the children of Israel out of Canaan land? All but Caleb and Joshua and the Levites. What kept them all out? Doubt. You know, that, that rhymes. Doubt will keep you out of God's blessings. Beware that place. One of the things we need to confess most, God, forgive me for doubting you. Forgive me. Help me to believe it. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. God says, I've given you my word. I've given you evidence. I've worked in your heart. There's grace at work in your heart. Believe me. Trust me. Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, for he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That's it. If we don't watch it, listen, that we, I'm sure, as I'm standing here, almost everyone in here has been through these little valleys where we've doubted, we've struggled, we've had all of those issues I've just mentioned. And all the war was on. And yet God gives us answers. He gives us the right way to deal with it. He says, you believe, you trust. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. I'm glad that's in there because there's a lot I don't understand. It's hard to believe things you don't understand, but we do it all the time. I don't understand electricity, but I believe I can plug things in the wall there and it'll, it'll start the vacuum cleaner. And so, and I don't understand all the operations of a car, but I learned, well, I put my key in there. I know, I know there's a little bit more than what I'm talking about, but put my key in there, there's gas in the tank. Press the pedal. All right, starts up. Well, glory to God. I know there are other people who know a whole lot more. I can explain all the details. That's fine. The beauty is you don't have to know it all if it works. If it works. Beware of such a place. And we'll keep ourselves out of trouble. Father, bless the message. Thank you for the word. Thank you for your truth. Help your people. You do as the Lord leads. If the Lord spoke to your heart, we're going to have an invitation song. Most importantly, keep our hearts humble. Let's stay dependent. Let's exercise ourselves unto godliness.
bless our invitation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian.